right. So here we are. We're going to start chapter two. Um, we're going to, if you remember last class, we ended talking about fasting in a particular, um, in, in, in connection to a particular scenario. We are going to continue talking about fasting, but in, through a different perspective, um, but we actually, obviously, the way that Tanya works, that there's always like introductions to the things that we're talking about, because we have to understand certain things before we get to the topic at hand, right? We're familiar with how this goes. So um, that's what we're going to do. I actually, my husband and I spent, I had a lot of questions on this class, and we spent a lot of time, like really um, talking about it, going over it. We asked a lot of questions to different people. So um, hopefully it will be clear and hopefully we'll be able to um, delve in this together. Um, any questions or comments or thoughts before we start? Are we ready to, we're ready to jump right in. Okay, so we're on chapter two, okay? So last, at the end of last, chapter, last class, we were talking about the relationship between repentance and fasting, right? And we we definitely spoke about how repentance is of primary importance, right? And definitely fasting is not only secondary, but something that we don't really even practice so much today, right? And um, and yet, even though fasting is not a um, requirement for repentance and atonement, it does have certain value enough that the, that the Alter Rebbe spends quite a bit of time talking about it, right? So last time we talked about um, the function of fasting as part of the process of atonement when, if somebody felt that their atonement wouldn't be enough and they would have to go through suffering, right? And cleansing. And so, so that person chose to inflict upon himself the suffering and the cleansing so that there would be no um, residual dues that he would have that would be have to be paid later when he passed on in the world to come right we and we did we spent some time talking about how technically that really doesn't work because god is the one that has to choose what type of suffering how when where that you need to totally cleanse your soul of that wrongdoing so it was done it's not totally, it didn't totally, you know, take away that part of the God suffering. So maybe you would, you would fast, right? Because you wanted to like take upon the suffering for yourself, but it doesn't mean that God wasn't going to come along and um, do what needed to be done anyhow, right? Because we don't know if that suffering was going to take care of that particular blemish. So, um, but it was, 
accepted in the time of the Alter Rebbe to use fasting as part of the cleansing process, okay? This chapter, we're going to deal with fasting from another perspective. We are going to talk about it not as the process, not connected to the process of atonement or repentance at all, but rather an additional offering to God. Like after repentance and after atonement, fasting is an additional um, kind of, we're going to talk about it kind of like a gift and kind of like a offering, like a peace offering, right, to God. And that's what we're going to be discussing in the next couple chapters. Yes. Not as part of repentance. Not as part of repentance. Repenting, you do repentance. There's the repentance process, right? Then there's the atonement process, right? Which, you know, has to be, it has to be, the atonement comes from God, but there are certain things that you can do to help that process along, like regret, right? All those things we talk about that you don't need for actual repentance, but it does, it does help the atonement process. After the, after the repentance and after the atonement, there is an additional step that, um, the fasting can help with. And that step is, and we're going to talk about it further, is this like peace offering. And we're going to talk about why we might need that. Okay. So, um, so we know that we know from the previous chapter that the person who sinned is not expected to fast or to practice self-mortification in any way, right? It's not a requirement and it's not an expectation, right? Um, A person who has fully repented for failing to to perform a positive commandment or for transgressing a prohibition, right? Um, With sincere regret and the resolution to stop doing it in the future and to to not to commit that transgression again, pays his dues, right? That is enough to complete the atonement process. You don't need the fasting. If you go through the repentance process and the atonement process where you regret what you did and then you commit to not doing it again, you are forgiven, right? And you are um, finished the process, right? Without the fasting, take the fasting out of the equation, right? So, um, so what is what 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 is it? Why do we even talk about it? So we're going to talk a little bit about um, the sacrifices that happened during the times of the Beis Hamikdash, the Temple, because the sacrifices are directly related to the. Um, atonement process. And then we're going to slowly pick this apart. So the atonement, what, what's atonement? It affects the soul's status, right? In terms of like credit and debt, right? It's if you have a blemish on your soul, 
that you have not, that you did not receive atonement for, um, that's a debt that you have towards God, right? And if that's not taken care of in this world, where is it going to be taken care of? In the world to come, right? What we said this in previous classes, where is it easier to take care of? We would rather have this taken care of in this world, right? Even though it's hard for us to grasp that concept because we don't know what it feels like in the world to come for our soul to go through the cleansing process. But Hashem tells us that, trust me, you want to take care of this here rather than in the world to come, right? So we have this atonement process and we have ways to go about that, right? So for example, there are some transgressions that in the time, not now, because we don't have like a base in, we don't have a court of a Jewish court of law, but in the times of the temple, when we had a Jewish court of law, there were certain transgressions that required lashes, right? Certain transgressions that required like a monetary um, compensation, right? There was different ways to atone. Certain things needed to have excommunication. Very, 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 very minuscule amount of things that required death, right? Um, but that was very, very, very rare. And everything, that was the process of, of the atonement. So if someone went through, let's say, lashes, right? That was what cleansed the soul of their debt to Hashem. And it was like... The, that that transgression never happened. So when we when that person would come in the world to come and stand before God and be judged for his behavior down in this world, he would not need to to worry about that sin that he already repented and got atonement for. It would not come up on his record at all. It's like his record was expunged. Right? If you committed a sin or you refrained from doing something that you were supposed to do, and you did the proper repentance and the proper atonement, it was like it never happened, right? It, it does not come back to haunt you, right? So um, so he doesn't become, this person doesn't become a tzaddik all of a sudden, right? But that that transgression that he did was, is, is wiped clean. Now, um, The, the thing is, is that your record is clean, but what still could be a problem is your relationship with Hashem, right? So just because your record is now clean and that particular transgression is not going to come back to haunt you. It doesn't mean that your relationship with Hashem is what it was like before. So to give an interpersonal example, just so we can grasp this concept better, right? Let's say you have an argument with a friend, right? And you did something unacceptable and inappropriate to your friend and they're hurt, right? So you apologize, right? You repent, you ask for forgiveness, you commit to never doing it again, right? And your friend, and let's say your friend forgives you, right? Forgives you. 
that relationship is still not, is not going to be the same as it was before unless there is an additional effort made. Does that make sense? So just because you're forgiven, just because Hashem forgives you, and when you get judged, that sin isn't going to come back to haunt you. That sin is done. It's like it never existed. But what happened to your relationship? Right? There's still a relationship piece that doesn't just go back to the way it was without additional effort. You get what I'm saying? Right? So the question is, how do we do that with God? What does it require from us to um, repair that relationship? Not the technical, you know, debt owed, not like, is the sin still matter, right? More relationship oriented. How do we take back our relationship? Now, give me one more second. If, let's say you are all of a sudden, after you do this sin and you commit to not doing the sin again, and not only that, you're just like a way more righteous person. All of a sudden you are just like, that was like, wake up call for you. And now all of a sudden you are doing more than you ever did. Even if you're more righteous than you were, your relationship still needs a repair because it's not about how much you're doing and how much you're and how righteous you are. It's the fact that you, you broke a relationship and now that needs to be repaired aside from atonement and repentance. There needs to be an additional step. And that's what we're talking about here. Yes. Does someone have a question? I was just going to say, because you were asking, how do we do this? Yeah. What is that extra this? step? I was just going to say, you be kinder and you do more mitzvahs. Okay. But so you know what? I, this is one of the questions that I had for my husband. And we didn't really settle it, but maybe we'll get there. I said... Isn't the act of doing more mitzvahs, right? And being more righteous, isn't that in itself a repair in the relationship? So according to the Alter Rebbe and the Tanya, not necessarily. There has to, something else has to happen first or not even first, simultaneously. It's not a contradiction. They're not, you can be more righteous and you can, you know, be, in connection with God, but in order to restore that loving relationship, there needs to be something else. And remember, we are like God's children. So we don't just want an okay relationship, right? We just don't want, we don't want to just be coasting and just being like, whatever, I'm forgiven. That's good enough. We, we're, we're, our, we're God's children. We want a loving, attached, close relationship. And even in a parent-child relationship, so many times there's wrongs that happen, right? A parent to a child, a child to a parent, and they need to be repaired. They need to be, the relation, not only does the transgression need to be addressed and we say we're never going to do it again and whatever, but the relationship needs attention. 
The relationship itself needs to be repaired. And we can't, it's not like, oh, the lost cause. We're never going to have a, that good relationship again. Sometimes um, adversity and struggle um, break people's relationships. And sometimes they make them even better. We are hoping that now that we know that our relationship needs a repair, that we use this as a catalyst, not only to repair the relationship as it was before, but even to make it better and stronger. Because we also know that a lot of times through sin and through transgression, that's what strengthens our relationship with Hashem. But that has to be a conscious, you know, choice that we make that doesn't happen by default. You can't just do repentance and atonement and expect the relationship just from that to get even stronger. You need to make that additional effort and that additional um, you know, overture to the person you wrong to make sure that that relationship can be sustained and be restored and not only restored, get even stronger, okay? So um, what is it? What is it? Okay, here we go. So what, so what are, so, this is what this is in the times of the temple. This special effort and the special gift that we would bring to God was in the form of a carbon, a sacrifice. Now, there's many different sacrifices, right? There's a carbon chatas, there's a sin offering, there's a carbon, um, I think it was called the shlema, whatever. I don't know. There's a lot of different carbonites that happen for different sins. If you, okay, we're going to go back to some previous knowledge that we have, right? There's different types of sins, right? If you transgressed a prohibition, what's the trajectory of repentance, right? You, in the moment, you, you stop, right? You commit to not doing it in the future, right? And then at Yom Kippur, right, you, that, that you're, the, the repentance is completed, right? And then sometimes you need even more than that, right? You even, you even need suffering. So that, there was the karmachatas, the sin offering was, would go together with that. There's something called a karban ola, which is the burnt offering. The burnt offering was brought when we, fail to do a positive commandment. Technically, you need no offering. Why? Because remember, when you fail to do a positive commandment, although it has huge ramifications in the world, there's nothing really to correct. It's just an energy that you missed out on, right? You missed out on a positive energy. So you get forgiven right there in the moment. If you, if you stop and choose to do tshuva, you don't even have to wait till Yom Kippur to get atonement because there's nothing really to atone for. It's just a lack of energy that you missed out on, which has huge, huge ramifications for the world, but there's not a lot you can do about it, right? There, this is when the, the Torah talks about a carbon ola. It's a burnt offering. What is a burnt offering? It was a gift. To Hashem. It was after you repented and after you received atonement, you would bring this burnt offering. And this burnt offering is a, an equivalent to a gift, 
right? So back to our in, interpersonal, you know, lives, if you wronged your friend, right? And you ask for forgiveness and your friend gives you forgiveness, right? And we said, and, and then that's it. Nothing else happens. Your relationship is probably not going to be the same, but let's say after your friend gives forgiveness, you continue and you make an additional effort, right? And you send them a gift and you write them a card and you pursue and you make sure that that person knows how how sorry and how much that relationship means to you, right? That's the carbon ola. It is the additional gift that happens after atonement, right? It has to happen after atonement. Give me one second. It has to happen after atonement. What happens if you would give the gift before you, 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 you asked for forgiveness? Let's say you wronged a friend, right? And you sent them a gift, but you didn't really ask for forgiveness and they didn't forgive you. What, what would that gift mean anything? Chances are that gift gets thrown back in your face or gets sent back in the mail. So you cannot bring a carbon ola until you ha have done the repentance part and the atonement part. If you try to bring the carbon ola before those things are done, it's not accepted. The carbon ola only works once you've already been forgiven. Once you've been already forgiven, then you can send a gift you can pursue, you can make sure that that person or God knows that you just, you're not only looking for forgiveness, you, you want them to know how important the relationship is for you and how sad you are that you broke it. And you want to make sure that you can recreate what we had before. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's actually an insult by doing it where you Give a Do gift and you don't even. A hundred percent. It's an insult to your friend and to God. Yeah, you cannot send gifts before you no, go like, through the proper channels, or else it's, it's like here. Shut up. Here's 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 a gift. Leave me alone. Exactly. Doesn't work uh, like like it's like a cop out. We actually spoke about in the in the first part of Tanya and the Kutayamara, and we talked about you know, there's, you know, with our relationship with God, like what is more important or what needs to come first, respect or love? Right. If you remember, we spoke about that respect needs to happen. Respect needs to be the foundation, right? If you don't respect your spouse and you um, just send flowers or send gifts, it doesn't mean anything, right? We, we gave the example of like the, the husband being coming home late from work, right? And he doesn't call. He doesn't say, I'm going to be late. He doesn't let her know. And all of a sudden, he's, and he's hours and hours late for dinner and he walks in with flowers. What do you think is going to happen? He's guilty. <laughs> he feels guilty. Are you like, is, is yeah, but is, is the wife going to accept the flowers? Oh, no. no what, you, you don't call. You disrespected me. You didn't respect my time. You have no communication. You're going to come up with flowers, right? But if he sends a text or he makes a phone call, he says, I'm sorry, I'm running late. I'm coming behind, um, you know, and he communicates. And then he comes home with flowers as like an additional, like, I'm sorry. Then that works, right? Because it's foundation is respect, right? 
No gifts mean anything if there's no respect. That's why we say when we serve Hashem, we start with awe and respect and reverence, and then we build with love. And then it's like this ladder of awe, reverence, awe, I mean, awe, love, love reverence, love, right? Because um, a relationship can exist, cannot exist without respect. You can't just have love in a relationship. It's not enough, right? So same to here. Let's say we mess up in our relationship and we don't bother saying, I'm sorry. We don't bother asking for forgiveness. We are not forgiven because we never ask and we come with gifts. No, thank you. Right? So the, though we first need to go through the atonement and repentance process, and then we can bring the carbon Ola. We can bring the gift. Now, um, what was it back then, the burnt offering? Could have been anything, any animal? I, I mean, I think it was a, I think it was a calf, but I'm not sure. Okay, um, so that, that was the burnt offering that So the, And that what the burnt it. offering is, is that it, you don't eat from it, right? The whole thing right. gets burnt up to, there's many offerings that you eat from, um, but this you don't. It's a, it, go, it burns completely for Hashem. I don't know, I don't want to misquote, I'm not so um well versed in all the different offerings and what they were and so i'm assuming it was an animal i don't think it was like a bird i think it was an animal but that's um, what they did for a gift for to god right to hashem yeah yeah um i think um yeah. i think i i had I, I don't know where i read it but um it depends on which sin we're talking about what the appropriate sacrifice would yes. be. Yes, there's also different sacrifices. Remember the carbon chatas is part of, the sin offering is part of the repentance process, right? If you transgressed a negative sin, like you did something you weren't supposed to do, I'm, I think that part of the repentance and atonement process was an offering, right? What we're talking about here is the carbon ola, which is, after the repentance process this is additional gift. Now, what I wasn't able to get clear on is whether it's required or not. Because in the Tanya translation that I have here, it says that it's required, but it doesn't seem that that would make sense because if it's required, then how is it a gift, right? And so my husband said that he doesn't think it's required. It comes out of your own your own choice whether you're going to take that extra step or not I haven't been able to get a clear answer yet because from what I read in the text it sounds like it was a requirement but from what we're reading about and understanding it I hesitate to be confident about that and so God willing next class I have have feelers out to a lot of different people um I had a lot of questions on this chapter um but we'll find out for sure whether it was a requirement or not it would be very interesting if it was a requirement because it kind of defeats the purpose absolutely of it being a gift that you are choosing to do and that additional effort that you're making in your relationship with Hashem right so that's why I I would like to say it's not a requirement but I don't know I will follow up with that as soon as I can get some clarity. Um, so, so after you repented and after his punishment was pardoned, that's when um, you would bring this sacrifice. Now this is 
this whole thing, they, the Alter now brings a, um, like a metaphor, right? For, um, it's like a person who offended the king, right? And through advocates, right? Um, and like, um, what's it called? Um, mediators, God, you ask for forgiveness. A lot of times, let's say you don't really have access to the king, right? So you would need like a lawyer, right? Let's say you had a lawyer or a mediator to help you, you know, plead your case to the king and the king forgives you, right? Um, after the king forgives you, never you would the, the person who wronged the king would send gifts so that he would be allowed to once again have a relationship with the king, right? Because the king could say, I forgive you, right? This is very, very common, actually, right? I forgive you, but don't 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 come near me, right? Don't show your face, right? Like just because I forgive you doesn't mean I want to see your face, right? And that is. Um, what we're talking about here. Hashem could say like, okay, I forgive you. Like, I'm not going to hold you accountable for the sin, but I, do I really want to hang out with you? Right? Like, maybe not, right? Do you really care about this relationship? Because your actions were very hurtful. So um, in order to like get back in the good graces, you, you, need to, you need to work a little bit. It needs to be more than just forgiveness. And um, because you can, no matter, like you can expunge and pretend that you never did it and it won't be held accountable, but there's still going to be a scar, right? There's still going to be a fissure, a crack, like a, a personal example, right? Like, I don't know if, if you guys, you know, saw it was around like um, in the fall when Hanalea took a permanent marker and colored all over her bed. Do you remember that? Like her really beautiful, expensive upholstered bed. She drew like unicorns and a whole thing in black. It wasn't even permanent marker. It was like a paint marker. It was like the worst possible thing you could possibly do. And um, she drew all over this like velvet upholstery. Um, and I actually like, I actually laughed because I was like, you, I, I cannot, like, how do you even like deal with this? But, um, um, what, what the point that I'm getting to is I actually, you know, got like, I actually like worked at it and got the stain out for the most part but it's still there a little bit, right? Like, it's not like new. Like you can still see the effects of, of what happened. So when we do something wrong, like maybe I, I'm not gonna hold her accountable anymore. Like I forgave her, right? Like I'm not gonna hold it over her head, but if I look at her bed, like there's still remnants of what happened, right? So what is very cool about relationships is that even though, they could go through really big bumps, right? And you can have really big challenges in a relationship that seemingly can break you. If you work hard enough and if you're invested enough, not only could you make your relationship go back to what was before, you can actually make it better. And another example of that is like a rope, right? 
let's say you have a rope and you break, you cut the rope, right? Um, so that's kind of like our relationship with Hashem. Like our mitzvahs is what connects us to Hashem. We transgress, the rope is severed. If we go through repentance and atonement, and then the additional gift to God, that's like the rope being tied back together. What happens when a rope is tied back together? First of all, it's like double the thickness and your cloak, it's shorter, right? So what happens is that it's not, not as strong. It's huh? not as strong. Well, maybe like- No, it's stronger now. If you have a super duper knot- Stronger now, it's you're closer to God. So maybe, I don't know physics or anything. Maybe there is an inherent weakness if something's tied instead of like- one one thing but for the sake of this analogy let's look at it with the thickness of the rope and the proximity to god right you get closer your relationship is thicker it's been through stuff right what happens in a rope that's tied like maybe it's not as like strong in the sense that it can be severed again but in essence like when you go through stuff there's value to that, right? There's a lot of value. Like, do you know that, like, I mean, it, this is not always the case, but there, it's a good example of like in a marriage, right? Let's say there's a marriage where there's two, uh, uh, you know, a couple and they have had, like, they're just no arguments. They always get along. They're a perfect match and they kind of never had any real, like, challenge or real conflict right that's a very good marriage right beautiful blissful no conflict right and then you have a couple that has been through the ringer right and they had a situation that almost broke them apart but they worked really hard and they went to therapy and they you know worked together and worked on themselves and they made it out the other side the relationship is better. There's pros and cons to either, but chances are the relationship that was tested, right, and and held on, that's, I mean, that's a whole different, maybe not stronger, but maybe deeper, right? Maybe like it has layers, right? There's, there's, there's value to that conflict that makes it special, right? And that's what we're looking for in our relationship with Hashem. Hashem doesn't expect us to have a perfect relationship, right? If he expected that from us, we wouldn't even have a repentance process. Our relationship with God is tricky. It is volatile, right? It is like, it could be trouble, right? But that kind of relationship is layered. It's deep. It's strong. It's like very, very valuable. But that doesn't happen by itself. That does just, if you just think that you're going to sin and you're going to ask for forgiveness and that's going to strengthen your relationship, that's not the part that strengthens your relationship. That's the part that gets you off the hook for punishment, right? Atonement gets you off the hook for punishment, right? The, the carbon ola, the sacrifice is what ends up 
proving to Hashem that you care. You care enough to make the additional effort. What is the sacrifice that we do to Hashem? Oh, million dollar question. Okay, so um, we don't have sacrifices nowadays, right? So we don't have that opportunity. What we're going to begin, we'll touch upon it now, but what we're going to talk about starting that, you know, and get into more next class is um, nowadays fasting takes the place of the burnt offering, okay? And this is where fasting comes in, right? Fasting is not part of the repentance atonement process. You do not need to fast to repent and you do not need to fast to receive atonement. What fasting has value is that extra gift. It's that extra step that you can take to um, show God that you care. You're willing to go the extra mile. Fasting is our nowadays, nowadays, because we still don't fast nowadays. So we're going to get to like how that works now, nowadays. Um, and, and a little bit of a, a preview because of our constitution, fasting can be hard. So then we have another substitute, which is what? Um, we didn't get to it yet. And I actually don't know all the details because remember, I'm learning this along with you. But charity takes the place of fasting, which takes the place of the offering, okay? Because, and because fasting in the times of the Alter Rebbe was very common, right? And so they were hardier and they actually had less food to begin with. So um, fasting wasn't as hard, right? Um, but, but we didn't get there yet. We didn't get to the charity part. Right now, what we're saying is that where does fasting come in? Why does the Alter Rebbe, even though um, fasting is not part of repentance and not part of atonement, why is he still spending so much time talking about fasting? We're going to talk about it for the next two chapters because it actually is a very, very important piece of our relationship. Not part of repentance, not part of atonement, but it's part of our relationship. Right? If we want our relationship to get back to what it was before, at least to back to what it was before, maybe even stronger, you have to show God that you really care. Asking for forgiveness and getting atonement is what? It's a little selfish, right? It's, it's what's the point of that? I don't want to pay the price for my sins, right? I don't want to be held accountable in the world to come. I don't want to suffer. I don't want, right? So. But fasting is suffering. Right. Well, that's the additional gift you're giving God. But let's take okay. the fasting out of it. You're just getting atonement. You know, that that doesn't show God how much you care about the relationship. Take the like technicalities part of that out of it right? Take the actual sin out of it. Take reward and punishment out of it. What about your relationship? Don't you want to have a loving relationship with God, like with your father, right? With your parents. Don't you want to have a loving relationship with God? 
right? Loving relationships, if you mess up, which we're all going to, but if you mess up, how do you show God that you really, really value and care? Want to do something for him. Do something extra. You need to send a gift. You need to send a gift, right? You need, and, and sometimes, sometimes gifts are a, like a sacrifice, right? Like sometimes gifts, I'm going to give up something for you. Getting, it happens in, in, in physical relationships too, right? Sometimes in order to show a spouse, a friend, or a, a child that we really care, sometimes that means giving up something right? That's sometimes how we show how much this relationship means to me. I, I, this means so much to me that I'm willing to give up something really important and really hard. And, and, and in order for us to show Hashem that we really care, right? It's not just about reward and punishment. It's not just about, you know, the nicks on my record. And it's not, it's not about that, right? It's about my relationship with you. It's about like, I don't want to like have tension between us, right? Just because you forgive me, I, I want you to want to be with me and I want you to want to see me and I want to hang out with you, right? And that takes a little bit more effort. So this is we're going to stop for this class. Um, next class, we're going to talk about, basically, we're going to go into more in more detail how fasting takes the place of the burnt offering from the times of the temple. How do we show God that this really matters, right? And that's where we'll continue on next class. But you have to admit that back then when they had the burnt offering for God, that was a lot more fun than fasting that we A lot easier than fasting. I right. you know I totally agree. I think, you know, things got a lot harder for us in exile, right? If yeah. you think about it, um, do you know that like we didn't really pray in the time of the base of Mikdash? You know, the sacrifices was the prayer, and the Kohen Gadol would pray for everybody. We would stand in the courtyard and we would just, you know, the the, the high priest would pray for us, right? Oh, they didn't do that. Now, like we're praying three times a day, like. What a pain. That's not fair. They did not daven. No. There's a lot of things that are much harder because we're substituting what we really should have, right? Ex I mean, it's exile for a reason, right? We're, we're further disconnected from Hashem. We don't have access to his um, energy and his essence as much as we did in the times of the Beis Hamikdash, so we have to work harder for it, right? And it's painful because this is not an ideal state. We're not in an ideal state. We are in exile. We want Mashiach, right? So this is a good, another good motivation for praying for Mashiach, right? Like this is hard. Like facilitating and having a relationship with Hashem is very hard in exile. It was a lot easier when there was a temple and the rays of God were just shining through the windows and you, you really couldn't argue with the presence of God. Like we can now walk around the world and deny God. How do we do that? 
because he's super hidden from us sometimes. And he made it so that we can question his existence. It was a very, people rebelled in the times of the temple, but it was really hard to deny God's existence. Maybe, maybe you were pulled in another direction and you had a big gate Sahara and you wanted to, you know, do other things, but it was super hard to deny Hashem's existence when it's right in front of you. So yes, you make a very good point that fasting is way harder than being bringing a sacrifice, right? Like not fair. But that's that's the position we're in. We are in exile. Right. Like we are much more removed from, you know, I'm teaching to my community the look we're we're doing again for the second time the first book of Tanya, and we're in the section of the the talking about the oneness of Hashem and really how everything is God and nothing is outside of God, right? And how how could it be that we deny God, right? How could it be that there's evils because of symptom, because of constriction, that God hides himself, right? In order for there to be evil so we can have free choice, right? God hides himself because or else there would be no purpose. We eventually want to get to a time where we've accomplished whatever Hashem wants from us and we can now bask in the glory of Hashem because we chose it right? We chose it out of our own free will. And one day, God willing, soon we'll, we'll, we'll reap the rewards from our hard work. Um, but, but that is to say that, you know, this relationship is hard. And if you want to compare it to, you know, interpersonal relationships, like a marriage, marriage is hard, right? Um, any relationship that really matters and that you really work at, even friendships, even Gosh, even a parent-child relationship, that's hard, right? Like there are so many things that can derail a parent-child relationship. So many things that can derail a marriage, right? Like that is, it's so hard. And then, you know, think about it, our relationship with Hashem, it can be even harder because it's elusive, right? It's not even tangible sometimes. And we're, and we're trying to have this relationship. So, um, this is where this is where we're at, right? We this is why we learn what we learn to better understand, you know, why are things the things where why are things so hard, right? That's the first book of Tanya helped us understand, right? Why is everything so hard? And Hashem says, of course it's hard. I gave you two souls that want opposite things. You think that's gonna be easy? Like that's how I that's how I designed it on purpose. So I, that's one of my favorite things about Tanya is that it normalizes the struggle. We think we get a shame, we feel shame. And sometimes we're like, oh, we're crazy because we're struggling. And one day we want this. And one day we're holy. And one day we're, we're, we're so mundane. And we, we don't even know where we are, what we want. And God's like, yeah, obviously. Like, duh, I gave you two souls that are fighting for complete rule over your body. So when you're struggling, what you turn your, you can turn yourself, you can turn to yourself and say, uh-huh, like my struggle is my godly work, right? Like that's what I'm here for. So that was a digression, but um, any questions before we um, do our meditation? I'm confused about one thing. Yeah. How is it that 
you at your age know so much, have so much experience as if you were a 60 year old who, who is so experienced in life, who has, uh, you're, you, you make me crazy. You're so nice to me. Thank you. <laughs> the truth. It's the truth. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't know, like, I, I mean, I feel like everyone, you know, has life experience and, and, and creates who they were today. I happen to have had uh, and still have a lot of obstacles and challenges and things that really pushed my boundaries and made me really consciously like nothing in my life is just by accident right like I really had to like choose my path and create that relationship even though it was so so hard and I think just like I said before, like when you go through that struggle, there's something very deep and, and layered about that relationship. So I'm not saying that my life was the bit is, you know, I monopoly on struggle, God forbid, but I, there's plenty of people who have it way harder. Right. But from my experience that every step of the way in my life, I was met with many obstacles. Right. So being a kid in Montana. <laughs> yeah. Then it really, and it, and it really shaped me for who, for who I am today. And I still, trust me, I still have a long way to go. Like I, I, I feel like I'm challenged all the time and every day, but, you know, going through such complete infertility and, and, and adopting children and adopting children that have uh, challenges and, you know, adopting a child who tried to take her life and we had to, you know, and have eating disorders and had to go through treatment. Like those are things that force you to yeah. really face, face it. Right. Like, and I always say, like, I would not be who I am today without those particular challenges. So I wouldn't ask for them, but, and not, but, but, and at the same time, I recognize the value that they have in my life and where I, I, where I am today. Right. So maybe that, that, you know, translates as wisdom, maybe sometimes, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I still feel like you should know better. Like <laughs> we've been here before, like get with the program. But, um, but I do think that that does, you know, and then people who've gone through a lot of challenges and have faced lives like that also um, connect and um, like gravitate towards people who also, right? Like it's very hard for someone who's gone through the, you know, many different challenging things to surround themselves with people who, also comes with age who are young and, and kind of floating through life and haven't really um, faced big stuff. Like that's not the kind of people that you will necessarily choose to be with because you're just on different wavelengths, right? No, so, know that you are truly amazing. Oh, you are. 
when I listen I, I, to you. I, I don't know how to, I, I'm working on taking compliments. So I'm just going to say thank it's you. Not a, it's not really a compliment. Oh. It's just something that I feel. Oh, thank you. you know? I appreciate that. And, you know, um, I, I always connected to Tanya in a very big way. And I think, um, like, to me, the reason why I love I, I love to teach it and I feel the desire to share is because for me, the Tanya isn't just words. It isn't just theory. I know a lot of people um, study and it just kind of remains theoretical. Like for me, like the words of the Tanya and the challenges and faith, like faith for me got me through those things. It's not like a theory that, you know, is out there. It is literally something that I live by. Like I would not have survived if I didn't believe in divine providence, if I didn't believe in a bigger picture, if I didn't believe there was purpose and reason to everything, if I didn't believe that God has at the end of the day, my best interest. I might not see it. I might not know it. I might not feel it, but I know that that is true, right? That's my truth. Like I know that. And that's because of Tanya. Like I've, I've learned it and I, I really use it like it's not a theoretical book for me right it is something that I, you practice you practice I and trust me there are times where I my husband actually he he laughs he's like if people actually heard you it would like when you like speak like it would be a disaster like I actually have I I am angry at God sometimes and I'm just and I I'm like, I will show it, right? But that is not a contradiction to my faith, right? It is just, I'm mad that this is what you're doing, your want for me. I don't, I'm not here for it, right? Um, I don't want it, but I believe, I believe in you and I will get through it. And usually it's like that layered, like first you're angry, you know, that like denial and acceptance and right, like it's that whole process, but deep down, like not even so deep down, even right there, like even when I'm angry, like I, I, the faith and the true belief that God only gives you what yours, like um, the other thing that I read recently was just like so powerful. It's like this journey of my soul, right? Like what's the journey of my soul? Hashem gives me the things because that's the path my soul needs to take to reach its full potential, right? I, don't, I really believe that if I didn't have those challenges and I didn't have those experiences, my soul wouldn't be where it is today. It needed that, those things to get them to be on the path and to get where it needs to go. I mean, it's God willing, I still have a very long journey so I can live very long. So I don't, I don't wanna meet my, you know, accomplish everything right away, but um I do believe that every soul has its journey and its path. And if we can look at our life as the journey of our soul and whatever our, wherever our soul encounters, it's because that's what it needs to reach its full potential. So, um, and I, I really just, I practice, I practice it. I believe it. Right. And, um, and that, you know, and there's so much about like toxic positivity and gratitude and all these things. That it's like very, it's not like, 
it's if you know me, I'm a very down to earth, practical person. I'm not a I'm not like a falsely positive person. Like I'm not always positive, but that is not a contradiction to faith, right? Like we're so we're allowed to feel our feelings. We're allowed to be upset. We're allowed to recognize that things are hard. And at the same time, recognize that these things that are hard are from God and are eventually for my benefit. Anyway. Um, you are blessed. Thank you. Yes, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Um, okay. Let's meditate. Um, just get comfortable. Feel your body. Um, deep breath in, deep breath out, exhale, gently close your eyes. Yes. What I want you to first do is just be aware and to notice where your body is right now. Okay. We're not doing anything with our breath yet. We're not affecting any change. We're just noticing like, what does my body feel like? Is it relaxed? Is it tense? Is there any pain anywhere? Am I anxious? Am I calm? Just observe. I'm going to start with a inhale for three. So we're going to inhale for three and exhale for three. So inhale, exhale. When you inhale, kind of envision like your body and your mainly your heart center just opening up and being a vehicle and a vessel for, for God, for light, for love, for acceptance. And when you exhale, you're grounding, you're releasing any tension. Good. Inhale, exhale. One more times at your own pace. I say inhale for three, exhale for three, but you can really do whatever count feels comfortable for you. Hopefully we feel a little bit more grounded and calm in our body. And we can think about a few things that we learned today. Number one, Fasting is not required for repentance or atonement, okay? We will, when we repent and we receive atonement, that means that that transgression is off the record. You are not going to pay for it. You're not, it's not going to be held against you in any court of law. But because our relationship to Hashem is so important and we want our relationship to be like it was before or even stronger, we need to show Hashem that we care deeply about the relationship, not just about the sin, whether it's counted or not, but what about our deep relationship? 
How do we show Hashem that we care about the relationship, not about the sin, not about forgiveness, not about atonement, not about repentance, but just the relationship between us and God. And the way we did that in the times of the temple was through a burnt offering. Nowadays, we don't have that ability. So fasting takes that place, but we will learn more about fasting in this capacity next class. So sit with that for a minute. Notice how your body or your emotions or your mind is sitting with this information. What does it mean to you in your day-to-day life? Does this affect your day-to-day life in any way? Does it impact you in any way? There's no right or wrong answer. It's okay if it doesn't at this point. Do you want it to impact you? Bring your attention back to your breath. Inhale for three. And exhale for three. One more time. Inhale. And exhale. Wiggle your fingers on your toes or just kind of get back to your space. Roll your neck, shrug your shoulders. When you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. Okay, I'm going to stop the recording and then...